Open your Bibles to page one. I'm going to wear that thing out because I don't get to say that very often. So for the next while, open your Bibles to page one and uh, we'll continue. You know, it's no accident that God is the subject of the opening pages of the Bible, right? After all, the Bible, uh, not only the Bible, but everything in creation is all about God. Often we read the Bible with a pretty man-centered focus. We can read the Bible about how I relate to what the Bible says, and, and it would not be wrong to say that there's an application there, that I want to respond the way that God wants me to in the Bible, but it's important to remember that the Bible is not primarily about you and I, nor is it primarily about our salvation, even though that's a part of God's story. The Bible is about God on every page of the Bible. We are enfolded into his story as we are his creation and he is the creator. We're on this earth in every place to worship him, to submit to him, to honor him as the only creator and rightful recipient of all majesty and fame. That is by very definition who he is. And in the creation account, we read a historical narrative. It's a story, but we think story, we think fiction. This is not fictitious. This is a, a true story, a true recollection of God's ways of working in the world. Genesis 1 is as historical as Genesis uh, 50, uh, as we begin to see the story and the lives of God's people unfolding as it is in the Gospels and, uh, and beyond. We read this historical retelling of God's working in the world, right? Our attention is drawn to God's, God's true, sovereign, wise, and personal nature as we look at creation. For God stands behind creation. We see that God is, God is the one who creates from nothing and then forms and shapes and fills. God's orderly. God is in control. God, God is the one from whom everything flows. Everything flows from the fullness of who God is. There's nothing random in the universe. There, there's nothing haphazard in the universe. God's orderly, sovereign, intentional, wise, and perfectly good in every way. Read with me Genesis 1, 1 through 13. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated light from darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening and morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And, there, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters were, that were gathered together, I'm sorry, and the waters that were gathered together, he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which, there, in which is their seed, each according to its kind 
on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the third day. Father, help us as we unfold your word this morning. There's more than we can say in a few messages about your creation. Suffice it to say, we don't understand it all. And that leads us to stand in awe of all you are. Allowing creation to point us to you, our creator. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to see that the almighty God who creates and forms and sustains everything by his powerful word is alone. He's the only one who is worthy of our delight and worship and obedience. Friends, our primary goal is not to understand everything that there is to understand about God. Our primary goal is to understand primarily what he has given us and to respond in worship-filled obedience. And sometimes that worship is about standing in awe of God. Stepping back and saying, I don't understand you, God. Did you know that that's, that can be worshipful? Now, there's a, there are different ways we can say that, but we say, God, I, I don't understand you. I can't comprehend you. You are far beyond my mind's capacity. And our minds, doctors and scientists will tell us, are incredible things. The amount of information that our minds can process are incredible. But together with our incredible minds being put together, we cannot understand God fully. And so as we read, as we learn about God, we respond to him in worship. God, you're amazing. That's worship. You're, you're alone, the creator and maker of everything good. That's worship. Lord, with the th things I, I create or, or remake from what you've given us, let me do it in such a way that it brings you praise and glory. That's worship. That's worship. In the first few verses of the Bible, we see right out of the gates, the Father is the source of all things. We see the Spirit of God as the energizer of all things, hover overing that which God the Father created, Jesus the Son, and the Word is the revealer of all things. And here in verse 3, we see the first record of God speaking in the Bible. God said, let there be light. God's Word brings light. God's spoken word brings light. And God's revealed word in the scriptures also bring light. We remember that the word God here is Elohim. It means that, that there's a plural, majestic recalling or identifying of who God is. And so we begin to see here even already right out of the gates implications of the triune God that we theologically call Trinity, even though the word Trinity is not in the Bible. It's a description of theological truths that we see revealed. But right here in the beginning of Genesis, though we don't have the full picture of a triune God, we see right out of the gates that the triune God exists. Commentator Alan Ross draws out just a really wonderful wordplay here on the Hebrew. We see it more in the Hebrew than we do in, in English. And he, he says, I am, 
which is as God revealed himself to Moses, you remember, remember God said, well, who should I tell them is sending me? And God said, I am. In other words, I am, I have always been, right? There's no creation point for God. He has always existed. Tell them I am has sent you. And Alan Ross uh, draws out this point here, this play on words. I am says, let there be, and there was. I am says, let there be, and there was. God saw God divided uh, the, the, and called. He divided what he had created and he called. He assigns to everything its value. He assigns to everything its place. And he assigns to everything its meaning. Why? Because he's God. He, he's God. And in a polytheistic, pluralistic society, the one who creates, identifies, and calls or names is the sovereign one. And that is God. God is sovereign. God doesn't explain himself. He reveals himself. God doesn't apologize for why he's done what he's done. He doesn't explain it always even to our own satisfaction, uh, let alone to the people of God. He is God. He is always good and right. He declares and he names. God separated the light from darkness. He named the light day and the darkness he called night. So naming something in ancient times, very specifically, more specifically than we might think of it today, naming something was a declaration or a description to God's people, Israel. Remember who, who are receiving this Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the Pentateuch, as they're preparing to go and take the land that God had told them. And so as they're receiving this, they're receiving it in, with the view in mind that uh, God has created all of these things. God has identified, named things, separated things, and this is the God we serve. So when God says, go into the land, we're not worshiping any God. We're worshiping the creator God. So we go where God tells us because he's God and I'm not. In God's naming day and night, he, he distinguishes between, you might say, nighttime and light time when he would do his work, right? He doesn't abolish night, but he creates a difference, a, a separation. And throughout the word, we see a, a clear kind of demarcation between that which is light, the day which is always referred to as good when God does his work. Those who walk in the daytime are not walking as those who, who need to be uh, walking, hiding something, as those who would sneak around in the nighttime. Now, it's not fully explained here yet, but we begin to see this pattern unfold. And God sets a pattern distinguishing between what would be deemed as holy and that would, which would be deemed as unholy. We see it in Leviticus in the law. God calls things holy and he calls things unholy. Why? Because he's God and he is clearly com uh, communicating to his people that I am holy. And there is to be a demarcation, a division or a difference between those who are holy and those who are not holy. There is a difference there. And God says, even Leviticus 25, you shall therefore separate the clean beast from the unclean, the unclean bird from the clean. You shall not make yourselves detestable by beast or by bird or anything else which the Lord, I'm sorry, with, uh, with which the ground crawls. For I have set you apart to hold unclean. 
So God creates, he sees, he separates, he names, and in doing so, he gives purpose as he sees fit. We might read portions of the Bible and say, well, why did God decide it had to be that way? You know what? If the Bible explains it, wonderful, what a gift. If it doesn't, we take it as the word of God and we obey. Well, why do I need to live my life this way? God doesn't have to explain it to you. Remember, he's the creator. He creates, he divides, he names, he calls what is good, good. And he says, people, my children, follow me, obey me. Why? I'm the good sovereign creator. I'm the ruling Lord of the universe. There is no other God. And so here in creation on, on, on this day, day one here, God creates a lasting time-bound rhythm in the world, right? It's, it's the regular, and there was evening and there was morning the first day. We see it throughout the pattern of God's six literal day creation. Now the word day, we can use the word day in different ways, right? We can say, what did you do yesterday? Uh, we're not necessarily um, saying, what did you do in the last exact 24 hours? We're saying, what did you do yesterday when it was daytime? We typically refer to the, the time period, right? Unless you work another shift, frequently referring to the time period that we would call daytime. But it's still within a 24-hour time period there during the day, right? Some would say this refers to a, a period of time. They stretch it out to mean something that when we read this and we understand it to mean quite plainly, quite simply what it says we read it and we understand it to be a 24-hour time period, a day. There was evening, there was morning the first day. There was evening and there was morning the second day. Genesis 2.4 uses the word a little differently, right? And so we need to understand how language works, not be afraid of it, but Genesis 2.4 refers to these are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day, in the period, in the time that the Lord God made the heavens and the earth. There's a use of the word day, yom, the same word that's not used as a literal 24-hour time period. But days one through six and seven of creation are a literal 24-hour time period. This is just normal language. Some will refer to 2 Peter 3.8, which is a different word because it's a different language, to be clear. But, but Peter uses a simile here. He says, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day or a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. You remember this from school, like or as is a simile. It's a comparison. It's not a literal um, explanation of the word day. And the comparison here has nothing to do with creation. It has everything to do with God's patience. In other words, God can be patient. God is patient because one of our 24-hour days, I mean, it's like a thousand years to the Lord because he can accomplish so much in such a short period of time and he's not bound by time. That's what Peter's saying in Second Peter. God's not bound by time. God can be as patient as God chooses to be. He is outside of time and space. We're bound within time. So for us, what seems like a day, oh, God can accomplish so much. It's like a thousand years in our capacity of understanding. And so these are uses of, as I said, normal language as we talk about creation and life. And we see it. We use the same kinds of word in different ways, right? And so both in creation and in the hearts of men, when God speaks, whatever God speaks happens just as he determines. 
I'm going to tell you, that will give you great freedom as you live this life of faith, as you strive to follow the Lord in your own life, but then also as we fix our eyes on ministering to other people. It's very calming and reassuring and confidence-giving to recognize the sovereign control of the Lord. Sometimes we think ministry happens because of how I orchestrate things, how I organize things, my leadership skill. And does the Lord use those things? Surely the Lord uses those things. But as I'm seeking how to minister to somebody or how I'm praying for somebody or what's happening in somebody else's life, what I recognize is that individual, man, woman, boy, or girl, is not outside the light-bringing scope of God's word. In other words, what God is working in their life right now, though it makes no sense to me, might take a week, three weeks, a month, a year, several years. I don't have to worry about it because God is ruling and reigning on his throne. How do I know this? Because when God said, let there be light, there was light. And God saw that it was good. Some people might ask a a fair question. Well, how's there light without the sun? Let's just remember what we're reading here. We're reading creation out of nothing. So God wants there to be light? No problem. There's light. We don't need the sun for light. In fact, God is light. In heaven, there will be no need for a sun because all of our light emanates from the one from whom everything flows. God, almighty God. So God says, let there be light. There's light. I want the sun to come in a couple days. The sun will come in a couple days. John Calvin gives us really good guidance uh, because we often try to take that which is beyond our understanding and which is focused on the Lord and we tend to, as I said at the beginning, make it man-centered. And John Calvin says, therefore the Lord, by the very order of creation, bears witness that he holds in his hand light, which he is able to impart to us without the sun, without the moon, because he's God. God's word brings light. Now think about the analogy here between creation and the souls of men. Psalm 119, 130 says, the unfolding of your word gives light. It it imparts understanding to the simple. The apostle Paul quoting Genesis 1, 3 and 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Christ. Brothers and sisters, if the Lord wants somebody to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, they will understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because what God decrees comes to being. Now, I know that raises a whole lot of questions and we can't answer them today. We can't chase them all down today. Our confidence is not in understanding everything about God, but believing by faith who God is, what he decrees, and that everything he decrees comes into being the almighty God, the uncreated light could speak into the darkness of this newly created and yet unformed darkness and into the darkness of a child or an adult, a peasant or a king, the poor or the rich and command light to be where previously there was no light. There was no spiritual understanding. And God says, bring understanding, bring light and there will be light. So we don't need to wring our hands as we think about how people are doing or the decisions in life that people are making, though we do. We just need to recall the sovereign goodness 
of God and rest. Rest in Him. Pray. Beseech Him. Ask for His working of miracles to bring light into the darkness of a human heart. Yes, absolutely. But from a position of resting in Him. Because He's good. And if even I don't understand his decision or understand why it's not happening now or why it's not happening according to the way that I think it ought to, I just recall the sovereign goodness of God. And I'm reminded that he owes me nothing. He owes me no explanation. He owes you no explanation. And friend, when you can rest in that, so much of your life, Well, it won't fall into place. But your understanding will be broadened and you'll learn to rest as you live life for the glory of God in all things. In both scenarios, creation and the human heart, God replaces disorder with order and beauty and light outshine the darkness. I want you to listen to how Henry Morris describes this in his book, The Genesis Record. It's a long quote, uh, so I'll put it on the screen for you to see. But he says, beyond the visible light waves on the one hand, our ultraviolet light and other short wave, short length radiations. On the other hand, infrared light and the other long wave phenomena. Just, just by God saying, let there be light and there is light. And in turn, setting the electromagnetic forces into operation in effect, completed the energizing of the physical cosmos. All the types of force and energy which interact in the universe involve not only electromagnetic, gravitational and nuclear forces. You see why I'm bringing out a good quote here. And all of these have now been activated on day one. There, though no doubt oversimplified, this tremendous creative act of the Godhead might be summarized by saying that the nuclear forces maintaining the integrity of matter were activated by the Father when he created the elements of the space-mass-time continuum. The gravitational forces were activated by the Spirit when he brought form into motion to yet to the initially static and formless matter. And the electromagnetic forces were activated by the word of God when he called light into existence out of darkness. Of course, God is one and all three persons of the God had actually participated in all parts of creation and continue to function in the maintenance of the universe that God had so created. All of this was accomplished on the first day of creation. The physical universe had been created and energized and was ready uh, for further shaping and furnishing in preparation for man whose dominion it would be. Wow. I don't understand most of that. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. God reigns over the heavens. God reigns over the heavens. Verses six through eight tell us as the second day dawned, God said, let there be an expanse or or a canopy in the midst of the waters to separate the waters from the waters. God separated the waters below from the waters above. And he called the expanse, this naming universal sovereign God names because he is the Lord of all creation. He calls, he names the expanse heaven. 
right? This Hebrew word for the expanse, it carries the idea of, of stamping something underfoot so as to spread it out. Imagine, though God doesn't have a body, the mighty footprint of God over the world that would stamp and spread out the waters and separate the earth from the heavens. This is the, the open expanse of, of heaven that we would think of now as birds are, are flying around. It's the, the heavenly atmosphere as we know it where God would later place the lights. God created light, but he's going to place lights. Now, some will say light took this many millions of years to get from where it is in outer space now to where the fact that we can see it right now. Friends, we're going to see that God is creating things in their fully grown form. He creates man not as an infant. He creates plants and trees as fully grown uh, uh, seed producing plants and trees and such. And if God says, I'm going to create a light and it's this far away, you better believe and create all of the light in between it. This is not a question of, can God do this? And it's difficult because we're beyond the reality of what we would call observational science. And I'm not going to speak into that too much because I'm a pastor and maybe theologian, but not a science scientist. I can't even say the word right. What we need to understand as we approach the conversation, though, is we don't have to understand every jot and tittle of it in order to understand that when God creates light, that light will be wherever God wants it to be, however God wants it to be, and we worship. We do not need to understand it all. Now, that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean we can't learn from the scientific field. You know, there are scientists who are, are men and who are women who are young and who are old. There are scientists who are Christians. There are scientists who, by their own admission, are not Christians. Most of them are pretty good people. They get up and they go to work and they do their craft and they try to improve in their craft. And to the best of their understanding, they try to understand the world that God had made. Right? Nothing wrong with that. What we need to acknowledge, though, is faith comes into play for believers and non-believers. So we don't need to, to take the opinion of someone who may say they're, by their own admission, they're not a believer in Jesus Christ and, and they don't believe the Bible and say, well, they gave a, they posited something, they gave a description of something that sounds very plausible. And we get all up in arms and, oh, I don't know if I can believe what God says about creation. Brothers and sisters, this is God we're talking about. And our task as Christians is primarily theology and understanding comes later, but always in the context of what affirms God's word. God's word isn't wrong. There's no error in God's word. Now, to be sure, our task is to seek to understand it rightly in its context and with the, the main goal of the author, which is why at some point you're going to see us kind of driving through some of this pretty quickly. I'll tell you, I'd love to spend months in Genesis chapters one, two, and three. Months we could spend. But remember, God's writing to his people of Israel who are getting ready to take Canaan. And God is saying, remember that I'm the maker of it all. Giants in the land? I made the giants. 
I made what they're wearing. I made the ground they stand on. I called the ground to come out of the waters as I was separated the waters from the waters and the heavens from the earth. God commanded their fulfillment and it came. God's word brings light and his works are seen beginning in the heavens and now moving down to the earth where it seems like God begins to to fix his focus. There's a whole universe of things that God has and is creating. What does he do? He zooms his focus and he narrows it down to earth where God will continue to focus our attention and his plan for the world where man will soon be created and find his temporal home. As God gives rain from the heavens, God also communicates that he is the one who reigns, R-E-I-N-S, in the heavens. He's the only God who brings rain. He's the only God who, as we see here, our third point for today, gives life. God alone gives life. Right Until this point, the waters were like shoreless oceans. If there were a boat out on the seas, it would have nowhere to land. It would have nowhere to find food. There would just be water upon water. The earth was there, but covered by waters. It was still uninhabitable. And God speaks by the power of his word. And he begins to, to gather the waters. I don't know what's happening in my life. I don't know what's going on in this situation. I don't know what to do. Remember that, brothers and sisters, God gathers waters. God gathers waters. There's nothing that is impossible for him. He gathers the waters under the heavens together, and he calls it seas. And by his command, dry land appears. Dry land comes out from these seas as the seas are gathering together. We still see the energizing agent is the word of God as he commands, and it is so. I am, says let there be, and it was. And so God sets the boundaries for the seas. He demonstrates his sovereignty over where every drop of water goes. One of the favorite... uh, I don't know, favorite, one of the things that uh, I think the Lord may bring to mind in conversations with people, but also in reinstilling confidence in my own heart is I look around and, and I see what's, what's in a parking lot or, or the trees or what's happening in the world. And we're reminded that there is not one aspect of this universe that is out of place, even as the result of sin from where God decrees that it be today. And in ways that boggle our minds, God is using what Satan meant for evil. Or as Joseph would say, what you meant for evil to his brothers, God meant for good. The Canaanites, Alan Ross points out, worshipped Prince Yam, a deification of the cosmic ocean. You see, all throughout time, since the very beginning, man saw God's creation... And man devised ways to try to understand the world in which we live, which makes sense. We all do that at some level. But they step beyond what God revealed, and they begin to name things and call things according to its season. They had gods over the seas and gods over the crops. They worshipped the fertility god Baal, and he would be active and present, and then 
after harvest, no longer present until he came back again. I know that's a gross oversimplification of it, but God is communicating to his people in a polytheistic culture, multiple gods, many gods. I am the one true God. I created the seas. I created fertile ground. I caused plants to spring up, fully formed with regenerating life built within, each according to their kinds. Psalm 104.7 describes this idea, whether it's this idea or after the flood. Psalm 104.7 through 9, At your rebuke they fled, at the sound of your thunder they took to flight meaning the waters, the seas, the mountains rose, the valleys sank down to the place that you appointed for them. You set the boundary and they may not, that they may not pass so that they might not cover the earth again. So as the, the, the earth is taking shape, just as God designed, God declares that the earth will sprout Vegetation, plants with seed, each according to its kind. And this phrase becomes important as, as many will tell us that, that whether it's uh, mankind or plants or trees begin to evolve outside of their kind. The key is God is saying they're given seed according to its kind and they reproduce according to their kinds. God created these, these full-grown plants, trees with their seed in them. Vegetable life, Doug Kelly describes, with the capacity to reproduce itself through seed after its kind, so as to pass on its living characteristics in an orderly fashion for that future, which God had in store for this natural order. And again, we see God assess. God saw that it was good. God created, defines, names, and observes. And he sees that it's good. There is no sea God. There is no God over the crops except one. And his name is Elohim. Yahweh. The personal God who is with his people. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. It seems appropriate to ask if you have any superstitious beliefs that bring you false comfort. Are, are there things that you look for in the world to sort of align in order to give you confidence for the steps you might take rather than looking to the word of God, seeking to understand, to pour yourself into understanding the word of God, walking in the context with, with God's people, the way that God designed for us to live this life? to give you confidence and, and assurance and, and understand the Lord as he's revealed himself? Or, or do you have superstitions out there? Do you look to a, a certain page of the, new, the, of the newspaper? Or do you believe that because your birthday is in a certain month that it means that your personality is going to be such and such and you make your decisions based off these things rather than understanding the grand purposes of the sovereign God who works all things according to the counsel of his will? And you can come to him in faith and you can bank your life on it. Well, I don't understand why God tells us that we're supposed to set aside a day of the week for worship. It doesn't matter if you understand it. 
I don't understand why we're supposed to give a tenth of everything that we make right out of the gates to the church and then go from there. It doesn't matter if you understand it. Well, I don't understand why I can't just live life according to my ways and and be a Christian and not ever go to church and not connect with the body of Christ because we just live in this individualistic society. It doesn't matter if you or I understand the commands of the Lord. We We hear them, we read them, we see them, we worship him, and therefore we obey him because he's God. Not because it comes out of my mouth from this pulpit. If I ever say anything that does not come and stem from the word of God, you don't have to follow it. But when we, whether it's I or Pastor Brian or one of the elders or another person that comes and preaches from this pulpit, holding up the word of God and saying, God said, we say, then I better get get on board. I better get in line. Brother and sister, take your, your superstitious beliefs and, and cast them aside or, or try to maybe understand what your heart is actually wanting in those and realize that you have a, a false confidence in something that is nothing. Bring it under submission to the word of God. You can trust him. You can believe him. You can follow him. We are not swimming underwater, drowning right now because God says so. You can trust him. Do you believe that you can trust him in everything? Do you? I proclaim this as one who says, uh, most of the time, I mean, I know he can be trusted, but I still come as the centurion did and said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. I haven't arrived. I have so far to grow. But I know that you said, let there be light, and there was light. I know that you separated the waters, and the waters were separated. You created the heavens, and you defined the earth. And out of that earth, you will soon take dust. Adam, I can trust you. I can rest in you. And the Lord knows that we need these reminders, right? The the almighty God, the the beautifully uh, majestic Trinity forms and he sustains everything by the powerful, by his powerful word. And he alone is worthy of our delight, our worship and our obedience. The verse I read earlier for God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. John 1, 1 calls Jesus the living word of God, which we now hold in written form in our Bibles. Jesus is the living word of God who is the light of the world. And in first John, he tells us in him, there is no darkness at all. And this is why we need the reminder that Jesus came the one true God living a life with no darkness in him lived perfectly. And he willingly gave his life on the cross for you and for me. And this is why Paul said, or Jesus said that we're to do this until Christ returns. We're to remember the, the body and the bread and, and we'll worship the Lord in this way. We have two stations up front and we'll have two in the back. And we want to encourage you to come. I think we have gluten-free communion on this table and 
Somebody correct me if I'm wrong, but if you need gluten-free communion, we have some here as well. But if you're also, you want to remain in your seat and you want to pray and maybe have someone bring communion to you, or if you're not able to get up and move around the room, that's perfectly fine. Just lift your hand and one of our servers will come and be glad to serve you. But we're reminded to do this because our memories are short. And we need the reminder to one another that this is the body of Christ, which is broken for you. This is the blood of Christ shed for you. And we're to do this as those who proclaim the name of Jesus as our only hope for salvation until Jesus returns. Let's continue to worship him in faith in this way. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your fantastic love. We praise you for your omnipotent power, your power that has no end your wisdom that knows nothing but perfect wisdom. And we confess, we struggle to believe. Father, I I praise you that you don't cast us away because we struggle to believe. You don't send us out as a disappointed God who can't believe that we struggle to believe. You you hover over us and you, you push us out of the nest, so to speak. And then when we can't fly, you catch us and you put us back in the nest. May we be a body, a body that comes around each other. May we be a body that tries to encourage people to learn to stand on their own feet as believers in the way that you want us to, learning more and applying more and growing more. And yet when we fail, and we will fail, we'll all fail. The teachers will fail. The pastors and elders will fail. The deacons will fail. The, uh, everybody in the church will fail. May we, may we be quick to acknowledge it. And oh, so speedy to run to you with repentance, which is worship. And may we be pleased to come alongside each other and help one another up when we fall. And may we be oh so fast to point one another to the God who creates everything out of nothing. And may everything in creation not capture our attention in such a way that we would be so focused on the creation that we would miss the one who made it all. We give you all glory and honor and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.